Tonight we look at Romans 15 and 16, if you'll turn there. So let me review Romans. Romans 1 through, through basically 11 has to do with, you know, the gospel, what God has done for us. Uh, the first five chapters or so are demonstrating to us that we're sinners, that we need a Savior, that Jesus is the only answer, and that he died for us, and that we have salvation through him. Chapter 6, 7, and 8 walk through basically how I think of it is not only did he save us, it's by his power that he sustains us, and only by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the grace in, his, in our lives through Jesus Christ, can we not only be saved, but also navigate this life. And we need both of those, honestly. Then chapters 9, 10, 11, he, said, he addresses the question that he anticipates, and that is, so what about the Jewish people? They're, you know, they're under the law, or are they saved by grace? How does that work? If we're saved by grace, does that mean you've discarded the Jewish people, and, and now we, you know, we have an Old Testament that's now forgotten, and we've got a New Testament that we care about? And he says, no, 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 no. Uh, God has not replaced the Jewish people with the church. Please catch this. God has not replaced the Jewish people with the church. Think about it. If God said, sorry, Jews, you blew it. You had your chance. You're out of here. I'm replacing you with the church. What does that say about God? What does that say about the character and nature of God? It says, you're on probation, dude. And none of us are on probation. That's not what grace is. Okay? We're all under grace. And so... 9, 10, 11 just fit with that sort of theme. And then chapter 12 picked up really sort of the, so then what? Therefore, he says, uh, present your bodies, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. The only thing reasonable we could do in response to the grace and goodness of God is to present our bodies a living sacrifice, completely surrendered to God. We say, our life belongs to you now, Lord. And we want you to do with it whatever you want. And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then he goes on, chapter 12, verse 3, to the rest of the book. Basically, here's the, here's the, the, the overview. How to get along with one another. Raise your hand if you ever had trouble getting along with anybody. Right. Um, so chapter 13, or cha- chapter 12. Frankly, chapter 12 is a great one to memorize. If you ever end up memorizing like chunks or paragraphs of Scripture, Romans 12 is, is a killer. Uh, basically, um, getting along with one another, being gracious with one another. Chapter 13 is about uh, submitting to government authorities, which is, a, uh, honestly, it's a challenge for all of us uh, at times, or not just any governing authority, not just the, you know, our legislative government, but any authority. And then chapter 14, he picks up and he says, uh, Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. Everybody got that? Everybody mastered that? Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. And we'll pick that up uh, here in a minute in chapter 15. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let, him, let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. Who are you to judge another's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he'll be made to stand, for God is able to make 
him stand. So please don't fight over things that don't really matter. That'd make for a lot of peaceful homes, wouldn't it? Who said yeah? One of my children. She must have read that in a book somewhere. So then each of us, verse 12, shall give account of himself to God. So we're accountable to our own, for our own selves. Uh, in a sense, mind, mind our own business. We give an account to God. And then um, look at verse 19. Therefore, let us pursue. Think about that. Pursue. Chase down. Pursue the things, by which, the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. You catch this? We need to pursue, chase the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. Now, we're going to talk about it a little more as we read through this, but just pause for a second. Raise your hand if you've heard of the phrase food sacrifice to idols as it relates to the New Testament letters, right? It's kind of a familiar phrase. And in my mind, I'm like, yeah, 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 food sacrificed to idols, whatever. I've heard that. I've read that. But I was listening to a guy talk about it this week, and he's kind of just explaining it. And let me try to paint a picture. Is that all right? Yeah. It's okay if I paint a picture? Yeah. You guys good if I paint a picture? Yeah. Good. Nate paints pictures. Why can't I? So picture the first century Christian scene. You basically, if you think about it, you got two kinds of Christians on, on the scene. You got those that were formerly Jews and those that were formerly... Come on. We're painting a picture together. I don't know if you know that. Some that were formerly Jews that we've now called Jewish Christians and some that were formerly Gentiles that we'd now call Christians. All right? <clears throat> Have you ever noticed that we bring our past experiences, you might even say baggage, but we'll just say experiences, into our present life, worldview, situation? Like how many times do we say, well, the church I grew up in, right? That's why I have a tremendous burden that to for my kids, for the kids in this church to grow up and say, the church I grew up in was not all messed up, <laughs> right? It's, a, it's, a, it's heavy on my heart. And uh, I love the church that my kids grew up in. But anyway, if you're a Jewish Christian, you used to think that you're saved by the, by the works of the law. Did they bring that into their Christian experience? The Jerusalem Council, Acts chapter, I think, 15 or 16, somewhere in there, right? They brought it into their Christianity so much that they said those scumbag pagan people who now are Christians, we think, they need to get circumcised if they're going to be right with God, right? And you got the pagans that are like, you know, we used to eat this meat as a part of our, like, sacrifice to Zeus and Diana and 
whatever pagan deity we could come up with. And we had these cool little, I mean, it was so cool you should have been there. We had these like little worship things and, and all this and, you know, bowed down and there's a lot of, you know, um, immorality that went along with it, but that didn't really matter. And then, and then at the end of it, there's a bunch of food left over, right? So you got to do something with it, right? So we'd go to the markets, and it's a great deal, right? Like a freshly cut steak costs X, and the leftover steak from the, from the pagan temple costs like half X, right? It's the same kind of meat. So I'm good with that. Can you imagine? And you got former Jew and former Gentile living in the same world. One of them thinks you've got to be circumcised, and the other one thinks you can eat meat that was once sacrificed to idols. Can you imagine? And the Jewish people are probably thinking, you know, that pagan, I know, you know, you might think that's okay, but that influence, you can't get away from that influence. And those pagans are like, can you guys please lighten up and just let us try to serve the Lord? And you got this whole thing going back and forth. Can you imagine? And so, I, you know, in my mind, I think sometimes we wrestle with different opinions and convictions and, and uh, backgrounds and denominational biases and doctrinal biases and all of this. But, you know, at the end of the day, I don't know that we're that much more challenged or have that much more reason to be challenged than the New Testament church did, than the early New Testament church. And even as I think through that, you know, I think... If we ask for a show of hands, if I said, who's more sympathetic? Are you more sympathetic to like those Gentile Christians that are now saved? Or are you a little more sympathetic to like those Jewish Christians? Like, you know, maybe it's not all bad to be circumcised and like give God the reverence that he's the, the reverence and the and the the respect that he's due and that he didn't write, he didn't waste his breath writing the Old Testament law and all that. And even as I say that, we could probably, each of us maybe be a little more like, yeah, those Gentiles, I kind of lean that way. Or like, maybe like obeying the law and obeying the rules, I could kind of lean that way, right? And so they had this whole dynamic, and I think we have this whole dynamic uh, just with slightly different issues, but I think it's really not any different. And I don't think I'm going to pick out a single issue because really we have a lot of them. Maybe I'll pick out an issue as we go. I don't know. We'll see. You may pick out an issue. No, you don't. So he goes on. So, so look at verse uh, chapter 15. He says, so with that in mind, okay, with that in mind, consider these these encouragements that Paul writes to the church. He says, We then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. To me, the first thing I notice about that is Paul has us identifying who's strong and who's weak. Now, we probably all, like, maybe think we're strong, right? Or maybe we all, like, at least think the other guy's weaker, Right? And so even that, it might be, you know, he said in chapter 12, don't think yourself more highly than you ought. 
Maybe we who are strong or think we're strong or might be strong or have a strong day once in a while ought to bear with the scruples of the weak or the guy that's weak once in a while or the guy that lost his temper yesterday or the guy that might be weak at some point in time. What's that mean? That means all of us ought to really bear with the scruples of all of us, right? In order to lift each other up, not to establish a pecking order. Please. Please, please. The church has long established pecking orders, right? The Jewish Christians were higher on the pecking order than the Gentile Christians, at least in their minds. The Gentile Christians were just trying to walk in grace. It seemed like Paul was okay with it. Why can't, why can't you be, right? But the church has always kind of had this little bit of a vibe of maybe there's better Christians than others. And I think that uh, that doesn't do anybody any good. And all that does is please ourselves because it makes us feel better about ourselves if we think that we're more spiritual than somebody else. But we should bear with the scruples. The Greek word there means the infirmities of the weak. The infirmities of the weak. Somebody said, told me one time, a guy that I highly respected when we lived up in Indianapolis, he said, we're all like flat tires. Or we're all like tires. If you get to know us long enough, we all have a flat spot, right? You ever notice that? You get to know me for the first, like, ten minutes on a good day. Great guy. Infallible. <laughs> right? I mean, that was, that was one of the most inspiring ten minutes of my life. <laughs> right? <laughs> Twenty minutes, maybe talk to my kids, maybe talk to my wife. Oh, he's got a couple flat spots. Talk to some of you. Oh, he's got a couple of flat. He's got three or four, right? We all have flat spots. And if you think you're strong, or you might be strong, or maybe you're having a strong day, we should bear with the infirmities, the weaknesses, the flat spots of others. And not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. So if we think we're, we're one of the stronger ones, Jesus didn't please himself. He just saw opportunities to bless and help and encourage and edify and lay down his life for others. For whatever things were written before, were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. So the former Scriptures are there for us to learn. The Scriptures bring, notice, patience and comfort. And if we're going to bear with one another's flat spots, what do we need? Patience. Comfort. The word comfort comes from the Latin cum fortis. means with strength. Comfort is the strength, really, the, the, the security that I have to put up with the scruples of another, the weaknesses of another, and the patience I need to put up with another. And I know that you need patience to put up with me. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another, according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I love this. 
See the Trinity in there? Do you guys see the Trinity in there? Let's read that again. Look for the Trinity. Now may the God of patience, God, and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so the God of patience and comfort, well, comfort, who's their comforter? The Holy Spirit, right? So the God of patience is the God, and God of comfort is the Holy Spirit, according to Jesus, and all giving glory to the Father. Now you notice the Trinity, again, we don't fully understand the Trinity, right? What's the Trinity do? They get along with one another, right? They edify one another. They glorify one another. And so we're called to do the same. And wouldn't it be great if we did that with single-mindedness? May the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another. Does that mean we all think alike? And again, I, I love that the Lord has us in these chapters that we've been in the la- on Wednesdays and on Sundays. And I love that the Lord has us in these chapters in the context of the churches. You know, there's new people coming to the church. And with new people comes new backgrounds, maybe new baggage, maybe new strengths and weaknesses, maybe new diversity. What do we need to do with that? Straighten them all out? No. We need to be like-minded with one another. And that doesn't mean we all agree on everything, right? We could, we could easily, easily find hot buttons upon which to disagree, right? But remember, remember what we're not going to do? We're not going to engage in disputes over doubtful things. And can I just suggest something to us? More things are doubtful than we might realize. Do you hear me? More things are doubtful than we might realize. Therefore, verse 7, receive one another, just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Now I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision, that's the Jewish people, for the truth of God, to confirm the promises made to the fathers, and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. And so what you see here, God is, God is the God of the Jewish Christians as well as the Gentile Christians, Right? They were at cultural odds. The Jews were legalists. The Gentiles were pagans. Can you imagine? And when they get saved, you got Christian legalists and you got Christian permissive people. And yet, Paul's encouraging them to work together, to be like minded. And he kind of digresses a little bit on the Gentiles. He says, For it is written, For this reason I will confess to you among the Gentiles and sing your name. Sing to your name. And again, he says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Laud him, all you peoples. And again, Isaiah says, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he who shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, in him the Gentiles shall hope. And so what's Paul doing? He's including the Gentiles in this, in this fold of Christianity. And then he says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now may the God of hope fill you with joy and peace in believing.
Do we have joy and peace in believing? Only we can answer that, right? Joy and peace are part of the fruit of the Spirit, right? We have joy and peace in believing and that we may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 14. Now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly to you on some points, as reminding you because of the grace given to me by God. So he's pointing out that some people are full of knowledge. We all have knowledge, right? There are things we know about as Christians, right? Again, in the context of what we're talking about here, right? He says in chapter 12, he told us not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought, right? What's he tell us in 1 Corinthians, I believe, chapter 8 about knowledge? Anybody know? Remember? Most, if you can nail a verse, knowledge puffs up. Love, I like the NIV, love builds up. Knowledge puffs up, love builds up. Now, do we, need to, do we need knowledge as Christians? Do we need to be biblically literate, discerning Christians? Yeah, but be careful. Knowledge puffs up. What's love do? Love builds up. Love edifies. And so, we all have knowledge, and as we grow in the Lord, which we should, we'll grow in knowledge. But along with that, we need to grow in our love and recognize that Paul had tons of knowledge but he also had lots of grace. And even at this, so you may read, you may get a read, like if I said, remember I said by a show of hands, like if some of us were a little more partial to these Jewish law abiders and some are more partial to the Gentile former pagans, right? I'll just confess to you, I'm, as I read these verses, I lean a little Gentile, right? I lean a little Gentile. So if you lean a little Jewish, right, go easy on me, right? I'm just reading the verses. But I'm leading, I'm leading a little Gentile on this. Think about Paul. Think, just think about just everything you know about the Apostle Paul. Paul defended Gentiles to the, to the end, right? Paul defended Gentiles to the end, right? Now, who gave Paul the most trouble, Jews or Gentiles? Jews. When did things go... I, I love reading the book of Acts, but I'm always a little distressed by the book of Acts at the end. Are you, you know what I'm saying? You're, you're like, it's like you're watching, the, you're watching a movie and you see him on that third journey and I think it's Agabus tells him don't go to Jerusalem. You know, bad stuff's going to happen. And he says, I'm going anyway. By golly, I'm going to Jerusalem if I have to die there. And it's like, I want to I wanna hit the pause button. I'm like, it's like I want to talk to the TV, right? Don't go to Jerusalem. Bad things are going to happen there. And it's like, I don't want to, it's like, I want to read the next page, but I don't want to read the next page. Don't go to Jerusalem. They're just, they don't understand. They don't get it. They're going to frame you into some stupid stuff. 
like you were in the temple at the wrong time with some guy when that wasn't even true. And next thing you know, you got chapter after chapter after chapter of trying to explain yourself. And it all would have been fine if you had just gone back to Antioch. Right? But that's not God's plan. Right? God didn't want me to write the movie. Right? Paul had tons of burden for the, for the Gentiles. He had burden for the Jewish people as well, for sure. But he got most of his flack from, Gen, from Jewish people. And I think as Christians tonight, let me just say this, as Christians tonight, just log that away. Paul got most of his flack from Jewish Christians. Or maybe Jewish, Jewish non-Christians for sure, right? But he got... Of the Christian world, it says there was no small dispute when they went to uh, the council of Jerusalem. No small dispute. I would want to have no small dispute with Paul. But he said that I might, verse 16, be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, and offering of the, Gent- the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I have reason to glory in Jesus Christ and the things which pertain to God. For I will not dare to speak of any of these things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word or deed, word and deed, to make the Gentiles obedient in mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about to Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. So Paul wanted his ministry to be empowered by the, by the Spirit. He wanted to give glory to God. He wanted it to be full of grace to the Gentiles particularly. And so I have made it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation. But as it is written, to whom he was not announced, they shall see, and those who have not heard shall understand. Now, sometimes we get a little tore up over this uh, another man's foundation because Paul didn't want to preach on another man's foundation, right? And I heard one guy explain it this way. You know, in Paul's day, there was much of the known world that had never heard of the gospel, right? In our day, there's some of the known world that's not heard of the, heard of the gospel, some of the unknown world that's not heard of the gospel. But it's not, this is not a biblical um, uh, mandate to not preach where another, on another's foundation, if you will, or where somebody else has you know from First Timothy, right? First Timothy, Timothy is pastoring the church at where? Ephesus. Who laid the foundation of the church of Ephesus? Paul. So Timothy himself is building on, if you will, another man's foundation. So this is just a personal preference of Paul. He's just saying, I just want to go and I want to preach the gospel everywhere where people haven't done that yet. For this reason, I also have been much hindered from coming to you, but now no longer having a place in these parts and having a great desire these many years to come to you. Whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you, for I hope to see you on my journey and to be helped on my way there by you, if first I may enjoy your company for a while. Now, you've got to like this. Paul says, basically, hey, I'm going to go to Spain. I'm going to swing by your place on the way there. Well, did he do that? Yeah, he swung by their place on the way to Spain. <laughs> sort of, right? And when he writes this book, uh, 
it was probably uh, from Corinth on his third missionary journey. Now, I won't show you a map, but you may recall that, you know, Corinth is, uh, if I had the map up here, you know, Greece kind of sticks out in the ocean, in the, in the Mediterranean Sea like a peninsula, right? And Paul kind of comes down there around the end of that, and he's going he's gonna to jump on a boat. You may recall this at the end of his third journey. And he's going to jump on a boat and take it over to Antioch and Jerusalem and all that, right? But he gets wind of um, a conspiracy that's going to kill him on the boat, right? So he goes back all the way up by land, all the way through basically retracing his steps back through Asia Minor and then winds up going back to uh, Jerusalem. And then after that, he goes through all these trials. He's, um, he's about three or four years uh, of trials, I believe uh, historians say, there in Jerusalem and Caesarea. And then, on, and then from there, he appeals to Caesar, and he has to go, and he winds up going all the way to Rome, gets shipwrecked along the way. They think he's going to die. He gets bitten by a viper. You want me to keep going? Right? He's swinging by... Rome on his way to Spain. And he's going to get bit by a viper, and then he gets healed of that, and then they think they can't decide if he's a god or if he's evil, and, and they wind up in Rome, and then, he's in, and then he goes to Rome, and he's going to appeal to Caesar Nero, and this is basically where the book of Acts ends, but then um, uh, Christian tradition says that he was there for a couple years and then was released by Nero, right? And then after that, he traveled, um, went to Philippi and Colossae. Some say that he then went to Spain uh, on that trip and then winds up back in Rome and uh, gets uh, tried again and wind up executed. So if you want to call that swinging by Rome on your way to Spain, more power to you, right? Do you think that's what he had in mind? No. How about our plans? Anybody ever have plans? You can tell God how it works, right? Tracy and I, we're going to have zero kids, and I would never in a million years be a pastor, right? And by the way, when I was a kid, my parents had a, had a uh, farm in southwestern Indiana, it was the most rural, out in the middle of nowhere place I'd ever seen, and I would never live in the country with my no kids not being a pastor. Right? Paul's going to swing by Rome on his way to Spain. Right? Now, is it okay to make plans? Yeah, just don't hold on to them too tightly. I'm so thankful I'm sitting here I'm so thankful that I got nine kids, every last one of them. I'm so thankful I live in this out in the middle of nowhere, rural place. I used to sit out in the woods. Anyway. <laughs> I'd sit out in the woods, go squirrel hunting when I was a teenager. I thought, well... Nothing else to do. Might as well shoot a squirrel out of a tree, right? And I thought, I can't wait till I get back to the city. Now, right? Saturday afternoon, right? You put me in the middle of a creek. 
in the middle of nowhere with a rock wall about 30 feet high on both sides, right? Me and my good sport wife also standing in the middle of the creek <laughs> catching fish. It's awesome, right? God's plans are better than ours. God's plans are better than ours. So it's a long-winded way. Yeah, I know. It's a long-winded way of saying uh, he's going to swing by Rome on the way to Spain. For I hope to see you on my journey and to be helped on my way there by you, if first I may enter your company for a while. But now I'm going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints. Catch this now, again, with this Jewish-Gentile cultural divide that we got going on. For it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia, those would be Gentiles, to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints or who are in Jerusalem, that would be the Jewish Christians, it pleased them indeed, and they are their debtors. For if the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister to them in material things. I love this. Paul is basically canvassing all this Gentile territory, telling them, by the way, the people in Jerusalem, the Jewish Christians, are broke. Now, you've got to understand this culturally as well. Right? For a Jewish person to become a Christian was to forsake Judaism, was to basically lose your livelihood. I mean, it, it, it came at a cost. And so what's going on? The Gentile Christians are collecting money, and Paul's going to deliver it back to the Jewish Christians. Right? Is it, okay for, is it possible for Christians to get along with different backgrounds, different cultural biases? You bet it is. It's a great picture. And the Gentiles, I love what, what he says here. You know, if the Gentiles have been partaker of the spiritual things, their duty is to minister to them in material things. The Gentiles are saying, hey, basically, this is a theologically rough paraphrase. Hey, you know, we worship the God of the Jews. We owe it to the Jewish people. We're thankful for the Jewish people. We love the Jewish people. We want to bless the Jewish people. And so they take up a collection form. Therefore, when I have performed this and have sealed, sealed to them this fruit, I shall go by way of you to Spain. But I know that when I come to you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. And so, you know, when he comes, it's going to be fullness of blessing. Now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me. So by the way, since we're all getting along, he's, he's encouraging them, please pray for me. That I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, that I may come to you with joy by the will of God and may be refreshed together with you. Now may the God of, now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. And so... You know, Paul's asking them to pray for him. He no doubt knows that he's going to get into uh, some challenging times when he goes to Jerusalem. And then chapter 16, just uh, real briefly, he says, I commend to you Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant of the church in Shankria, that you may receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and assist her in whatever... She whatever business she has need of you, for indeed she's been a helper of many and of myself also. So um, Paul meant, Paul's going to mention like 26 people in this chapter. Uh, and so uh, again, each of these people has a story, a relationship, um, 
they're a, they're a cell, they're a critical cell in the body of Christ. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their own necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. So they were tentmaker friends of Paul's uh, from Corinth, and now they're hosting a church there in Rome. Greet my beloved Apinitus, who is the first fruits of Achaia to Christ. Greet Mary, who labored much for us. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my countrymen. And my fellow prisoners who are of note among the apostles who also were with Christ and Christ before me. Think about this. Each of these names is a human life that interfaced with Paul. Greet Amplius, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow workers in Christ. And Stachus, my beloved. Greet Apollos, approved in Christ. Greet those who are of the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my countrymen. Greet those who are of the house of Narci- household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, who have labored in the Lord. Greet the beloved Persis, who labored much in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother and mine. Greet Asenricus, Rictus, Phlegon, Hermas, Petrobus, Hermes, and the brethren who are with them. Greet Philologus and Julia, Nereus, and his, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ greet you. Each of those people has a story. Isn't that sweet? Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learned and avoid them. Ouch. And avoid them. In the midst of all this um, exhortation, if you will, to be like-minded, to live in harmony, to um, basically receive and, and uh, put up with the scruples of the weak. He says there's going to be some that cause divisions and offenses. And he doesn't say fight back with them. He says avoid them. And there are times in this life as Christians, even amongst Christians, that there are people that we just need to lay low from. There are people that I... There, there are people that I lay low from. I don't fight them. I don't argue with them. I don't engage them. If I see them in town, I say hi. And I try to keep it as short as I can. And I keep on walking. And sometimes, that's what it takes to get along with somebody. That's a reality. But that's a part of our ministry to get along with others. Right? Sometimes... You know, in chapter 12, I've said this a million times. As much as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. What's that mean? It means as much as it depends on you, right? Takes, how many people does it take to have a fight? Two, at least, right? It takes at least two to have a fight. And so we can choose not to be one of them. For those who, do not, who, those who are such do not serve the Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by smooth words and flattering speech deceive the hearts of the simple. Notice this. These people don't always like come out with, uh, with guns slinging and all that. Sometimes they come with smooth words and flattering speech to deceive the hearts of the simple. Be careful. For your obedience has become 
known to all. Therefore, I am glad on your behalf, but I want you to be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil. And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. So this is discernment, right? Wise in what is good, simple concerning evil. Discernment comes from that. Timothy, my fellow worker, and Lucius, Jason, and Sosipater, my countrymen, greet you. I, Tertius, who wrote this epistle, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, my host and the host of the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the treasurer of the city, greets you. And Quartus, a brother, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. So these are all people that are with Paul there uh, in Corinth uh, as he's writing. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began, but now made manifest, and by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations, according to the commandment of the everlasting God, for obedience to the faith, to God alone wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. So, God is the one who establishes his children so that we can give glory to him. And that's the purpose of the gospel. And really, this book, as we close it out, what's this book about? This book is about the gospel. The gospel that saves us. The gospel that allows us to live with one another in harmony. And as we wrap up, I just want to say one thing. I sincerely appreciate the fact that I believe this church does these things. I am so blessed that a church, it's funny, I, I hear a lot of your stories. I know a lot of your bents. I know a lot of your backgrounds. I know a lot of, a lot of your convictions. And I, I love the diversity in this church. I, and I love the way People minister to one another and care for one another and love on one another and sometimes lay aside differences with one another. And it's, it's truly, so I don't want to read these words and anybody feel like, wow, he's coming down on us. No, I'm, re I'm just reading the words and telling you what I think they need to encourage us in. But, uh, you know, we can, all, can we all do better? We can all do better. But the other side of that is uh, I, I'm, I'm just all the time blessed by what I see around here. So keep it up. Fair enough? Let's pray. Lord, thanks for your goodness. And thanks that, uh, that you have knit us together as the body of Christ and uh, uh, all that that entails. And Lord, it entails a lot. And so we're thankful that we get to live as an organism. Um, that can, uh, with, one, with one heart, glorify you. And so, Lord, help us just to continue to do that. Help us to do that for your glory and that you would be, um, that you would just be truly, truly glorified with, with, uh, with the way that we abide in you with the way that we love you and serve you and with the way that we love and serve one another. Help us to do that more and more. In Jesus' name, amen. Everybody have an awesome, awesome Thursday.